Welcome. My name is Dr. Jonathan Vorse, and thank you for downloading our podcast today on Working the Word. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to receive new podcasts every week. Thank you for your support at jvorse.org and enjoy the message today. Father, we come to you today. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to break the bread of life. Touch me to be able to effectively communicate your word today, I pray. Touch the ears of the hearers to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 16 is what we're going to be working on here this morning. And we'll just kind of read it as we go along rather than read through it and then go back and and work on it. Um, As I was studying this, It's like the Lord just opened my eyes to see Jesus was an organizational genius. Look at your neighbor and say, God's pretty smart. God's pretty smart. Jesus was an organizational genius. And our study today will deal with Jesus training 70 people on how to be His advanced team for future ministry locations, and we see that in verse number one. So from this passage, we're gonna get a good look at how to organize uh, the work of the Lord in new places, and we're also gonna be reminded that we are, the church is, God's advance team for the imminent return of the Lord. Let's read here in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse number one. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Now the Apostle John tells us in his passage, in his gospel, that the world itself would not be able to contain the books if we were to write everything that Jesus did. And so I think that when, we, when I read this and I noticed this, the Bible said that Jesus divided 70 people up by two, and the Bible specifically says that He sent them before His face or before Him into every city and place where He Himself would come. So if two went here and two went there and two went to another, then that was 35 different locations that Jesus was sending people out to, telling people, Jesus is coming to your town. Jesus is coming to your house. Jesus is going to walk your streets. Jesus is going to impact your region. He's going to impact your city. But Jesus didn't just send them out. Jesus didn't just send them out to say, He's coming. He sent them out with specific mandates. And that's what we're going to work on here today. And I want us to keep in our mind that these mandates are the same mandates that we have because we are the advanced team for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's why I've titled this portion of our study, Forerunners of the Return. We are forerunners of the return. So we see that Jesus sent out 70 into cities where He would go. And then the Bible said in verse number 2, this was their mandate. We'll start in verse number 2. Therefore He said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He would send forth laborers into His harvest. So the same thing that we face in ministry today, Jesus was facing. He says there's this great big job, but we don't have enough people to help us do it. So even Jesus, the Son of God, 
was experiencing those things, and so he sent advanced teams before him into these places and locations where he was going to go, and he, and he sent them with a mandate to go pray and gather. He said, I want you to go pray. I want you to go. The harvest is, is great. I want you to go pray that the Lord of the harvest would send for, for laborers into his harvest. I really like what Doug Small said when he was here a couple of years ago. He made this statement, and it has stuck with me. It stuck to me like glue. He said, you don't need a praying ministry. You need a praying church. And then he began to expound on that. He said, every church tries to have a men's ministry. They try to have a women's ministry. They try to have a children's ministry. They try to have a youth ministry. They try to have an evangelist ministry. And they try to have a prayer ministry. He said, no, no, no. He said, the men's ministry should have a prayer ministry. And the women's ministry should have a prayer ministry. And the kids' ministry should have a prayer ministry. And the evangelistic team should have a prayer ministry. And every area of your church should be bathed in prayer. So we should be a praying church. You want some scripture for that? What did Jesus say his house should be called? The house of prayer. That's right. So the primary purpose of a local body of believers is to pray and do spiritual warfare over their community. Now we evangelize, we preach, we teach, we train disciples. The Bible teaches us to do all of that. But before we do anything else, we should pray. What is lacking in most churches today? But Jesus said we're supposed to be a house of prayer. So we get together and we do everything but what Jesus said we should do. Right? The average church today, I read the other day, the average church today has a service of about, a, about one hour and 15 to one hour and 30 minutes. That would be us. And they spend one minute and 40 seconds in prayer. And I said, Lord, oh my goodness, we need to think about this, don't we? Jesus sent these advanced teams, advanced teams forward, and the first thing he told them, he said, I want you to pray. I want you to establish privacy. I want you to gather laborers together, and I want those laborers to begin to pray. When we pray, we prepare the way. And then we go to verse number three, and the Bible says, Go your ways, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. So he was telling them, you need to be discerning. Not everything that glitters is gold, and not everything that goes, bah, is a sheep. I've learned that through the years. Three kinds of people in the church. You got the sheep, you got the goats, you got the wolves. The sheep you lead, you guide, you direct. They want to be part of a body. They want to work together. They want to be part of the flock. The goats come in, and everything you say to them, they'll say, yes, but. And so they butt this, and they butt that, they butt this, they butt that, and they're just goats. And they're going to come and they're going to say, well, the Lord sent me here. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And three months down the road, the Lord sent me here. Six months down the road, well, the Lord sent me here. A year down the road, the Lord's leading me somewhere else. You know why? Because their butts weren't approved. But this, but that, but this, but that. And so... I just need to go somewhere where people recognize the gift in me. I just need to go somewhere where people respect the anointing. What anointing? The butt anointing? <laughs> but this, but that, but this, but that. And then there's wolves, you know, and people, these are people that come in and they just try to create trouble from the word go. And, you know, we just need to, I mean, we love everybody and we try to accept everybody, but if they're going to hurt sheep, I just have the gift of goodbye. 
I don't want you to be hurt. I want you to be helped. I want you to be loved on. I want you to feel good uh, about being a part of the body of Christ. And so Jesus was telling them, I'm going to send you forth as lambs among wolves. And so you need to be very discerning because everyone that comes up to you is not going to be of you. The Bible said they came in among us and they went out from among us because they were not of us. That's what the scripture says. And so be very discerning. Now let me, now let me bring this down to where we live. You don't need to let everybody that comes along into your life. Hello? Come on, I'm a pastor. I'm not an evangelist, so I'm going to teach you what the Word says. I'm going to try to help you grow in the Lord and enjoy life a little bit, okay? You don't need to let everybody that comes along into your life. Listen to me, young people. I don't care how handsome he is, and I don't care how gorgeous she is. I don't care. Listen, there comes a time. You marry that person, you're going to have to live with them too. You might have a little fun for a little while, but then you've got to live with them for the no, another 23 hours, another 22 hours out of that. You've got to live with them. You have to live with them. And listen, I don't care how good looking they are. If they're hard to get along and if they're all about themselves, you need to run. You need to run from them, okay? Be very discerning. Be very, very discerning. Now, I, now I want to say to the rest of you, you need to be careful who you let into your life because you become who you hang around. And so you need to hang around people that celebrate you, not tolerate you. You need to hang around people that believe in the anointing that's upon your life. You need to hang around people that's going to lift you up and build you up. But you also need to hang around people that's going to just say, let me tell you the truth here now. Even when it doesn't feel good, you need, still need to hang around people that care about, more about you than about what you're going to feel like if you need to hear the truth. You need to hang around people like that. So be very discerning in your life about that. And then we go to verse number four. The Bible said, carry neither purse nor script nor shoes and salute no man by the way. And if you go to verse seven, it says, and in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. So a lot of people say, well, this means that we should go and we should do ministry and poverty and all of that. I don't see that at all. I think what Jesus was saying is, I'm sending you out and I'm gonna bring you back. Okay, so what I want you to do is I want you to go out and I don't want you to have anything with you that's going to weigh you down, that's going to stop you from doing what I have sent you there to do. And then in verse number seven, the reason I read that was because the Bible told them specifically, do not go from house to house. Why? Because when you go into a new home, you have to adapt to that environment. And it takes a little while to adapt to that environment. And Jesus didn't want them going and staying in one person's home for three or four days and having to adapt. It'd take a day or two to adapt to that. And then go to someone else's home and take another day or two to adapt to that. And then go to another person's home and take another day or two to adapt to that. Jesus wanted them to not be cumbered about with very many things. He said, you know, don't take a purse, don't take a script, don't worry about those things, go to one house, stay at that house, get yourself adapted, and then go into the community and do what I've sent you there to do. Now, let me be very pastoral here and share just a few things with you that, I, that the Lord's kind of revealed to me on that. You have people that come along and they bounce from church to church. Okay? The problem with that is everywhere you go, you're going to have to adapt. And there's dry seasons everywhere you go. You plant a seed, there's always a dry season. And then there's a wet season, then there's a weeding season, and then there's harvest time. 
When you bounce from one place to the next because all of a sudden you're in a church that hit a dry patch for a little while instead of getting together with people that care and praying and praying through that thing and getting through it and helping God, instead of doing that, you just want to up and go somewhere the Spirit of God is moving. Then guess what's going to happen? You're never, ever going to be able to experience your personal harvest. Because every time you uproot yourself and go somewhere else, then the whole process has to start again. And it's going to feel good, I promise you. If you leave here and go somewhere else, you're going to think that the new place that you went is probably the best place since sliced bread for about six months. Because you're on the honeymoon. And, and I can flow that back into my life too. Sometimes I get frustrated. And I'll be like, man, I could go to a different place. I could, you know, but I, but I learned a long time ago, the same devil that messes with you here is the same one that's going to show his face over there too. And so why after nine or 10 years, get up and go somewhere else and then have to go through all that again? You see what I'm saying? If God has called you to the vision of the house, then join to the vision of the house and be there in the good times, in the bad times, in the lean times, in the fat times. Be there in the dry season, in the wet season, in the weeding season, in the tilling season. And, and then when it comes time for harvest, we can all rejoice together. We can rejoice together. So Jesus was telling them, he was telling them, don't be encumbered about with all of these things. Don't go from house to house. Where you land, if they receive you, say peace to them and hook there. And hook there and then work from that place. So then we go, verse 5, And in whatsoever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house, and if the Son of peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again, and in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. And then verse 8, And into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. Verse number 7 kind of alluded to that also. So I'm praying and I'm asking the Lord and I'm saying, Lord, how can I say this in a way where everyone's going to understand what, what this scripture is saying? And here's what I felt the Lord. You know, I have this relationship with the Lord where sometimes I can hear him chuckle. Have you ever had that? Does it, has anybody ever thought, wow, that amused the Lord? Here's what the Lord spoke to me. He said, listen, they don't need to go from house to house. They need to eat what's set before them like chicken foot soup. Like, like over in Japan, you know... Uh, fish eye soup, you know, that kind of stuff, just eat it, you know, and, and here's what I found out, you know, I thought chicken foot soup, ugh, try it, you might like it, don't eat the chicken feet, give them to someone else that'll eat that, but I mean, it's got a pretty good flavor there, but you eat, and so here's, I said, Lord, how can I say this where people will understand it, and where they will, will remember it, and here's what the Lord said, tell them don't be a diva, Don't be a diva. What's a diva? Well, you know, I'm coming. And I, need, I, I want a certain kind of water in my room. I want you to wash my bedding with a certain kind of downy or whatever. I want to make sure this and that and this and that and this and that and this and that. All this kind of stuff. And the Lord just, listen, church, we're, we're servants. We're servants. So why do we have to be treated like royalty everywhere that we go. Jesus, I mean, we're sons of God. We're heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We have plenty of time for royalty when we get to heaven. 
I mean, we'll be in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And, and, and it's true. We can have the blessing of the Lord upon our life, but we should not put it upon other people to try to treat us like we're way up there and they're way down here. Don't be a diva. Don't be a diva. And this is what Jesus was telling them. He said, eat what they put before you. Well, I'm sorry. I wanted fish and they gave me chicken. Chicken's good. So it's cheeseburgers, but chicken's good. Chicken's good. And so then we go on in verse number 9, and Jesus says, Oh, by the way, while you're there, heal the sick that are there and tell them that the kingdom of God is coming close to you. Tell them the kingdom of God is coming nigh to you. And so Jesus tells these 70 people, he said, go there, establish a prayer ministry, discern the area, stay focused, find peaceful lodgings, don't be a diva, and while you're there, heal the sick and tell them about the kingdom of God. Now, these are the mandates that we have from the Lord, aren't they? They're the mandates that we have from the Lord. When the Lord sends us into a community, what are we supposed to do for that community? We're supposed to pray over that community. We're supposed to establish prayer in that community. We're supposed to recruit laborers for the harvest in that community. We're supposed to discern the area, making sure that we're connected with the right people. We're not connecting up with wolves and we're not connecting up with goats. We're connecting up with lambs, people that want to be part of the flock, people that want to join to a vision. And we're going to stay focused. We're not going to be cumbered about with many things and have to have all of this stuff. We're not going to be a diva. We're going to, we're going to, take peace everywhere we go. We're going to be peacemakers. What did the Bible say about peacemakers? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So we're going to be peacemakers. And then another thing that he told us, the very same thing here, is you heal the sick and preach things pertaining to the kingdom of God. This was the method of operation of Jesus' ministry. And so Jesus sent his advanced team into town to set things up so when Jesus came, they would not be shocked that Jesus was going to heal the sick and teach things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So the advanced team did in miniature what Jesus was doing on a big scale. And so that's what Jesus is telling us. He's telling us, listen, you need to let people know that I'm coming. You need to let, you're the advanced team. You need to, to teach things pertaining to the kingdom of God because when I come, the kingdom is coming in all of its fullness. So then we go to verse number 10. And the Bible says, Into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same and say, Even the very dust of your city which cleaves to us, we wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. So what was he trying to say there? He was trying to say there that you need to stand up for Jesus. You need to stand up for the message. And not everywhere you go, you're going to be accepted. There's people that's going to find fault with you. I tell you what, there's going to be people that don't like you because you stand up for Jesus. There's going to be people that don't like you because you stand up for the Word of God. Now, I don't mean this in a really, really critical way. It's probably going to come across sounding a little bit critical. It's more of an observation, and it motivates me to pray for my country. I love America. I was born here. I was raised here. I love, 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 love the red, white, and the blue. I stand for the flag. I love America. I love America. I've traveled into different countries. I love America. But there's one thing I've noticed about America. 
the United States is the only place in the world that I have ever been where it seems that the ministry focus from the pulpit is more on how it's going to make people feel than what is the truth of the Word of God. You go to a different country and you stand up and you preach what the Word of God says. This is what the Word of God says. And it might, it might draw a furrow right down through the center of their soul. And they might say, oh, but because it's the Word of God, they embrace it. But here in America, well, bless God, I'll just, that, that's what you believe. I'll just, no, it's what the Bible says. It's, it's what the Bible says. I'll just go to a different church. You know, and, and we got to lose that attitude in America. We have to lose that attitude. We have to say, Lord, there's something more powerful than me. There's something more powerful than my emotions. There's something more powerful. And, and, and what is that? It's the Word of God. The Word of God was meant to change us. The Word of God was meant to encourage us, to strengthen us, to instruct us, to help us to grow in the Lord. And so then we go to verse number 13. The Bible said, Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works have been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And so what this tells us is, this is how we relate to unrepentant people. What it tells us is not everyone's going to accept the message. We could bring someone in here totally dead and God raised them from the dead. And there are people in this community, if they saw it with their own eyes, they still would not serve God. They may come and they may say, do that again. You know, they may come and want somebody to, to, to be healed and, 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 and they may even come and be healed themselves. But just because someone gets healed, it doesn't mean they're going to serve God for the rest of their life. Listen, in order to serve God for the rest of your life, you, we don't serve God for what He can do for us. We serve God because of what He's already done for us. And what inspires people to live for God for the rest of their life is not because He healed somebody or He raised somebody from the dead, but it's because they received a revelation inside of their heart that they're a sinner and that they need God and that Jesus can write that inside of them. And they come into a relationship with the Lord. That is what helps people live for God. Listen, I love it when God moves. I love it when miracles take place. I love it when people's lives are changed, when people's lives are transformed. But we don't focus. I mean, we get them all the time. We just don't market them. But we get them all of the time. We get testimonies all the time of miracles. And, all. and people say, well, you should tell more and people will come more and all of that kind of... No, no, I want people to be attracted to the Word of God. I want people to be attracted to Jesus. To Jesus. I don't want them coming because they think they get a miracle from me or get a miracle from me. I want them to be attracted to Jesus. And I learned a long time ago, God can raise someone from the dead and that still doesn't mean that everyone in the house is going to serve God. You know why? Because you don't have to pay for your salvation. Jesus already bought and paid for your salvation. But if you continue living for God, it's going to cost you something. Discipleship costs you something. Discipleship costs you commitment. Discipleship costs you faithfulness. Discipleship costs you something. Salvation doesn't cost you anything, but discipleship, becoming a fully devoted and developing follower of Jesus Christ, will cost you something. And so, not everyone's going to accept that message. They're just going to say, heal on, raise the dead on, do whatever you want to, preach things pertaining to the kingdom of God, but when you get out of town, I'm going back to where I was before, doing what I was supposed to. Listen, we need to pray and ask God to help us, to 
help people allow the Word of God to change them. So when people are unrepentant, like they were here in Chorazin and Bethsaida and even Tyre and Sidon, when they're unrepentant like that, what should our response be? We should love them anyway. Here's the thing. Our responsibility as a Christian is to live out our faith in such a way that people will be attracted to follow Jesus. And then it's God's responsibility and the individual's responsibility to accept Jesus. When I get up here and teach and when I get up here and preach and I've prepared myself, I've worked really hard through the years, I've got myself educated and worked really, really, really hard so when I stand up here, I'm not just speaking words that beat the air. I really want to help people. And, when I, and, I, and through the many, many years, been able to do that. When I stand up here, but, I can, but when I stand up here and deliver the Word of God, when I say, amen, give you an invitation to come, give your life to Christ, or just have some time, face time with God, from that point on, my responsibility is over. And it becomes your responsibility now to respond to the Word of God that you're receiving in your life and to take that Word of God and to put it to work in your life on a consistent basis every single day. Well, I don't understand why things, I mean, I go to the same church that so-and-so goes to and, and God's blessing them and God's not blessing me or this happened for them and it didn't happen for me. Well, maybe they're working the Word they're receiving. You see, there comes a time when we have to have our own skin in the game. You understanding what I'm trying to say? We have to have our own skin in the game. We have to become the disciple that God wants us to be. And so I have come to the conclusion through the years that I'll do the best that I can. And there are people that receive and there are people that don't. And I just love them all. And that's how you need to be with lost people. Let me tell you something about a lost person that doesn't receive it when you tell them about Jesus. If you get angry at them and go off on them because they're not accepting what you're saying, you, will, you have just slammed the door for your future opportunity to share Christ with them. But if you'll love them through their misunderstanding, and if you'll love them even when they don't receive what you're saying, then there will come a time when they will realize, I need Jesus in my life. And who are they going to call? When I was a teenager in high school, People laughed at me. I was mocked a lot because I was a preacher. And I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that it didn't hurt sometimes. I didn't have a lot of girlfriends. I had the opportunity to have girlfriends, but they weren't serving the Lord. They weren't the kind of girls that I felt like that I should be dating and going out with. And so I just didn't have a lot of girlfriends. And I would get laughed at, especially at at the high school, the secular high school where I was going. And I remember one time I'm walking down through there down the hallway and the bell had rung and have you ever been surrounded by a whole bunch of people but you felt like you were all alone? And I'm walking there and, every, and I looked around and it seemed like everybody had their friends and they were hurrying to their different classes together and I'm all by myself and I've got my load full of books and I thought to myself, I'm all alone and I heard the Lord whisper to me. He said, no, you're not. He said, I'm here with you. I'm walking with you. I'm walking with you. Later on that year, a guy by the name of Perry, who played football on the Hornets team, we called them the Hornets, the Bryant High Hornets, 
crashed his airplane and died. And guess who those kids came to? Johnny, will you pray with me? Johnny, I don't understand. Johnny, will you? All of a sudden, for the rest of the year, I just had a bunch of friends. I could have, when I looked around and thought, I'm all alone, I could have compromised my stand and tried to fit into the crowd, and I would have had two or three or four friends. But I chose to take a stand for Jesus. And at the end, I had many more than I would have ever had had I just compromised and tried to fit in. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm trying to tell you, stand up for Jesus. Stand up for Jesus. Sometimes it won't be easy. Sometimes, it, in fact, I'm going to tell you, it'll be hard. It's, listen, it's hard when they're laughing at you. It's hard when you walk into a room and all of a sudden everybody looks at you and shut up. I mean... I'm just bold enough to say, well, just carry on. Maybe I'd be interested in what you're saying. I don't care. Go but it's hard. It's hard. But there'll come a day when, here we go, God will turn that worm. There'll come a day when God will change things. So not everyone will appreciate being challenged, and not everyone will accept what you're saying. In fact, some will even oppose you in such ways that it will be difficult for your flesh to handle it. But you got to make up your mind. I'm going to stand for Jesus. If it's politically incorrect, it's politically incorrect. If, if, it goes against, if it hurts my pride, it hurts my pride. I'm going to stand up for Jesus. And then verse number 15, Thou Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. Verse 16, He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me, and he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. So verse number 15, Thou Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. Let me say it like this. Outward success doesn't always equate to spiritual success. You come to church on Sunday morning and you put on your Sunday best. I'm not just talking about your clothes. Some of you do, some of you don't with your clothes. I mean, we're kind of in a different era, a modern era with that. But you still put on your best attitude and you still put on your best behavior and you still walk. You can be fighting in the car on Pony Lane and when you turn that car into the parking lot of the church, it's like, praise the Lord. <laughs> come on, come on. Well, how do you know, Pastor? Because it happens to me. That's why. That's why. That's, that's how I know. That's how I know. But I've learned a long time ago that someone can look successful. They can sound successful. They can talk like they're a big success. They can put themselves off like they're a big success. But if you just peel back the mask, what do you find? Brokenness. Pain. Listen, outward success, just because someone puts themselves forth like they're successful doesn't mean that we should embrace them in that way. And here's what I've taught many, many young people for when it comes to ministry. I told them, I said, listen, the talents that God has given you can take you to the top, but it's going to take good character and great integrity to keep you there. And character and integrity many times are things that you can't see. So work on what you can't see so God can continue using you with the gifts that others can see. This week, I was with a friend of mine, and he told me, this is a true story, he told me this little story. He said, um, 
there was a young successful preacher who got into a tiff with an older minister that was trying to help him with advice. And this young guy, God had used him and his ministry was getting large and he was uh, coming into finances and all kinds of stuff and he was just, he was acting like a novice. And so he'd bought a bunch of golden rings and all this kind of stuff. And so he's looking at this minister and this minister's trying to help him, you know, cool it, you need to calm it. You, you know, I mean, you're presenting yourself. This, you know, this is the gospel we're talking about. You shouldn't be spending money on things like that. You know, I mean, uh, our, 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 our treasure is not in earth and gold, but it's in heaven and, you know, and things like that. And this guy looked at him, according to my friend, he knows the guy, he looked at him and he held up his hand, and his, each hand had a gold, gold ring on it. And he went like this to that old preacher. And he said, I could take the gold on these fingers right here and beat you in court any day. And that old preacher got up, patted him on the shoulder, said, I'll pray for you, son. Five years later, that young man had lost everything and was living on disability. And to this day, his children will not talk with him. Just because he looked successful on the outside didn't mean his spirit wasn't a mess. And so I want to tell you, focus on what matters. And so, thou Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. And then he said this, and, and remember, the scriptures do say that pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Then verse, verse 16, He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me, and he that despiseth me despises him that sent me. The takeaway is this, the battle's not against you, it's against God. I'm going to make a statement here. There are some people that can no longer associate with you because your spirit bothers their demon. Do you hear me? There are some people that have disassociated themselves from you because your spirit, the spirit of God in you, bothers their demon. Now, I don't want to go too far down that road because I could take a text and preach for another 45 minutes. But just because they can sing good doesn't mean they're anointed by God. There are anointings that do not come from heaven. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so the battle's not against you. It's against the God in you. It's against the anointing that's in you. Against, it's, against the, it's, it's against the fruit that will be brought to account because you said, you know what, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to be a Christian and I'm going to be a disciple and I'm going to be a fruit-bearing Christian. I'm going to do what the Word of God says. I'm going to keep my spirit right. I'm going to keep my character right. And so the Bible said some will despise you. And don't take that personal. Don't take it personal when people despise you. In fact, the Bible said in the last days that people would not like you because you call yourself by the name Jesus. So don't take it personal when people despise you. It's just par for the course. Just say, Lord, so, so what do I do when people are despising me, when people are fighting me? Here's what you do. You don't focus on 
their version of your despicable me, okay, what you do is you focus on whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are peaceful. We could go down the list, and then the Bible says, if there be any virtue and there be any praise, think on these things. So if they add power to you, if they're praiseworthy, if they lift you up, if they strengthen you, if they encourage you, those are the things that you focus on. The farther you get along the road living for God, the more the enemy is going to come against you. I had Joseph Larson in the car with me yesterday, and we were headed down to the airport to drop him off, and we were talking about a few things, and, you know, he's this tall, but he's the age of my son. He's 25 years old, and I just love him and his little wife. They're just precious, sweet young people that love God, and they're serving God and working for the Lord. And, of course, you know, he's on television all around the world and, uh, you know, singing there and all of that, and so uh, there are some people that just don't, like him, he, you know, he doesn't just get fan mail, he gets hate mail too, at 25 years old. And here's what I told him. I said, don't worry about it. The brighter the light, the more bugs you attract. I said, God will shine through you. And I said, you're going to attract a whole lot of people. They're, people are attracted to the light. And I said, it feels good when like people of like precious faith are attracted to us because we draw strength from them and, them and they're our brothers and they're our sisters and we're all the body of Christ. I said, but the brighter your light shines, there's also going to be people that are going to be attracted and they're going to come around and they're going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. And they're attracting for the wrong reason. You see, here's the thing. The devil is not after you. He's after what you can produce. The devil will leave you alone if he's satisfied that you'll never ever try to win anyone else to Jesus for the rest of your life. He'll never mess with you again. If he can get you to just come to church on Sunday morning and just sit in the same spot and just open up the scriptures and that's the only time during the week that you open up your Bible and it's the only time during the week that, week that you pray, the devil ain't going to mess with you very much. He's got you right where he wants you. It's those that get up on Monday morning and say, Lord, before I start my day, what are we going to do together today? Those are the kind of people right there that the devil going to mess with. Those are the kind of people that the enemy is after. And I hope that's most of you today. I hope that's who you are. That's the people that... And so when you're under attack, that's because the devil only attacks credible threats. If you've never been under attack, it's because you're not a credible threat. What I'm telling you is hopefully you'll come under attack because you should be a credible threat. And when you do, here's what you say. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Scripture didn't say the weapon wouldn't be formed. It said it wouldn't prosper. So no weapon formed against me will prosper. And if God be for me, then who can be against me? So don't take it personal. They're not after you personally. They're after what the anointing that flows out of your life can produce for the kingdom. And God's word says right here in verse 16, he that hears you hears me, he that despises you despises me, and he that despises me despises him that sent me.
So the question we need to ask ourselves this morning out of that passage of Scripture is how big is God living in me? How big is God living in me? Some of you have those unique kinds of jobs where you interact with people you've never seen every day. I want to encourage you. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. The Bible says we are living epistles read of all men. You don't have to be a Jesus freak. Just live out your faith. What does that mean? Be kind. Be generous. Be loving. Be compassionate. Be caring. People doing things that you don't understand, love them anyway. Let them live their life, you live yours. Keep your nose out of other people's business. Well, I don't know, Pastor. Well, let me tell you something. You got enough to work on in your own realm. Amen? Amen. So just stay, but, but let your light shine. Let your light shine. And if you come under attack, let your light shine. Because let me tell you, and here's what I heard, felt the Spirit prompting me to say. When someone attacks you for your faith, it's not that person that's really watching how you react. It's all of the other ones in the room. So when I come under, under attack, I think, wow, I've got an opportunity to show the love of Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so that's what you do. You show the love of Jesus and don't take a personal. Let's all stand. Thank you for listening to Dr. Jonathan Vorse on Working the Word. We appreciate your love and support. Visit www.jvorse.org to give a gift today. Don't forget to subscribe and enjoy the rest of your day. Always remember, the Word will work if you work the Word. Be blessed.